Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS All Access series, Star Trek Picard and Discovery. Today, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Picard Episode 5, Stardust City Rag. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Who story himself, Cal Jones. How you doing, man? You know what? I cannot complain. I'm rebooted. My Borg parts are back online, and I'm ready to talk, so let's get after it. I right, better watch those Borg parts, man. They might get harvested, so you know, you better watch exactly, that. Exactly, see? <laughs> Just make business. sure I stay away from Free Cloud. <laughs> oh, yeah. And also on the podcast, we have the Trek story in Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good, man. Taking been having kind of a Mr. Vup attitude here lately. <laughs> what you're sensing people's truthfulness with your nose and olfactory. <laughs> oh, well, just, just an all around not good mood. Oh man. All right. Well, let's, let's but try- I talk about Star Trek. So it's becoming a better day already. Try to brighten the mood up. And also in Hattiesburg, we have the Stargate story and Jeremy Barrow. How you doing, man? Uh, you know, I could probably use some nanoprobes right now to reboot some systems that are just going down on me lately. Oh, man. It's called age. <laughs> I was <laughs> to say Tell it. me about it. Maybe you need an upgrade. I need many of them. <laughs> he needs to be reassimilated. <laughs> uh, so which one is worse, Borg or Cyberman, Cal Jones? Mm. Ah, like, you know – Wow, that is a very good question. And I bet Whovians and Trekkies could debate that to infinitum. But considering the fact that I'm the main host, I guess, and as you call me showrunner on discussing who, I guess I have to say Cyberman because I don't want to, you know, go against just, you know, the Doctor Who lore. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair I have no idea what a Cyberman is. Uh, basically the board. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, the Borg are basically the Cybermen. Oh, so that was going to lead to my next question. Yeah, which came first? Cybermen, 1966. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough, yeah. sir. Fair enough. Can't argue the timeline on this one. Yes, and I am a Time Lord, so there you go. Nice. <laughs> but, but back to the continuum of Star Trek. <laughs> so we're going to um, go into a bit of feedback that we've been getting uh we got some feedback from our friend of the show matthew turnage where he was talking about picard's attitude toward kids which we kind of talked about on the last episode absolute candor and he thinks picard's attitude started to change in season five first off with the episode disaster when picard gets stuck in the elevator with three kids and also in the episode the inner light where he has kids and grandkids so good observation that I definitely didn't think about. And we, I don't think we mentioned when we talked about it, uh, before, but what do you think about that, John? I know you recently saw inner light again. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that was, I kind of, I've read that and I was like, man, why didn't I think about that? <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, it kind of, kind of turned my opinion or my theory on why he was such a attached to what's his name? Elnor. Elnor. Yeah, yeah. Elnor. Hmm. 
Let's, I, I might have to go back and watch Inner Light again, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely a great observation. And actually, you know, I'm rewatching season five right now, and I actually started on episode Disaster today. And yep, the cars get stuck in the elevator with three kids. <laughs> it's so funny because the kid's like, we're going to die. <laughs> and it, it's funny because he tries to kind of handle them like Starfleet personnel at first. Yeah. Yeah. And then he kind of comes around to, wait, I'm dealing with children here. It may be easier to kind of play along a little bit with them. Yeah. So he adapted. (laughs) Man, I really need to finish the episode because I can't remember what happens. But at the beginning, I did not remember this for some reason. Um, uh, Crusher is trying to get uh, Jordy to participate, I guess, in in their play. And then she wants him to sing. And guess what song he's trying to sing? What's that? Modern Major General. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna need to go back and watch that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really good. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, and all as always, we thank each and every one of you for your feedback. You too can participate in feedback by hitting us up at Discussing Trek on all of the social medias, or sending us fan mail into fans at discussingtrek.com. Now, I also want to talk about a bit of feedback in the form of a contribution to the show. Longtime friend of the show from Canada, Eric Hetherington, contributed to our PayPal money pool. And we just want to give him a deep and sincere thank you for his contribution. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but me and Eric, like always going back and forth on emails, he's sending in tidbits of articles I should read and just talking about Trek in general. So I just really appreciate him for all that he does. And thanks for sticking around while we talk about this Star Trek universe stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, thank you, Eric. Yeah. Thank you so much. Incredibly cool. cool. Yeah, awesome. And and guys out there listening, if you want to help support the show, we do have a support page, which is discussingtrek.com slash support. We contribute via uh, Patreon or PayPal, or we have a little merch store. Um, yeah, so definitely check that out. We really appreciate it, guys. And we're going to be talking about some of the Easter eggs, which Eric actually sent me in an article just the other day in this episode. So all good stuff. And I'm just going to throw it out there to you guys. Do you have any news or updates or anything you want to talk about before we get into the episode? Yeah, so there seems to be a video floating around here on YouTube where somebody kind of created a deep fake. And put Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk's <laughs> faces into the Cage episode, like the last scene of the Cage of the original original series. It's pretty cool. You have to you have to watch it. Yeah, um, have you Have you seen it? I watched. Yeah, I watched the first part of it. it yeah, was, it was hilarious. I saw it, but I refused to click on it because I was like, "No." Get this. <laughs> But it was you, you rather impressive, watch. though. It was rather impressive from the screenshot I saw. I'm like, this looks just like those folks. I mean, it's pretty good. It's pretty good considering what they had to work with. Huh, interesting, interesting stuff. And I thought I may have had one more thing, but I think I've missed it. I know what we did miss a couple couple of weeks back. We missed uh, LeVar Burton's birthday. Yes, and also seven, seven, uh, Jerry, seven, uh, Jerry Ryan's birthday was uh, last week, I think, as yes. well. Yes. Uh, there you go. So yeah, the trick the trick fam is getting a little bit older. Nah, seven doesn't show it. Oh no, I think she's like fifty two. Hey, that's not hey, that's not that much. How much? She's forty eight. Hey, the four, hold on, I gotta look it up now. Yeah, she's fifty two years old. 
That is not, but, but a few years older than me. So watch it when you say she's getting a little bit older. Hey, that's <laughs> not, but a few years older than me, dudes. <laughs> I'll talk about this article real quick that our friend Lee Shackford actually posted in our discussing who slack that Captain Pike and the Enterprise to be Star Trek's next show. This comes via giantfreakingrobot.com. So, you know, I guess you probably could take this with a grain of salt, but it comes after Viacom CBS announced their, you know, the shows that we've previously known about, uh, the Section 31 show, as well as a Nickelodeon Trek series. But they didn't mention the other show, which they're saying one of them is a Captain Pike show. Is, hmm. this, is this something we still want? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. How could we not? Yeah. I, I agree. And did you not? No, no. <laughs> Are I, you I, hesitant? I, I totally want to. I'm just trying to get gauge you guys, but but I want to say I want this show to be different from Discovery and different from Picard. I kind of want this show to be back to the optimistic, feel good, happy ending mm, trick yeah. we have yes. before. Because I think we still need that. Yeah, I think. But wouldn't it have to be? Because if you were doing his crew, a story of his crew. I don't think they could deviate much from that happiness. I mean, of course, you're going to have some drama. I mean, you wouldn't have if you didn't have conflict and a little bit of drama, you wouldn't have a good story. But I do think that's that's what's left. I agree. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I really think they need to strike a different tone. They need to strike a tone we already know and love. And, you know, in, in the wake of, the Orwell and people talking about how that is their trick. I think this is their opportunity to show that they can cover all facets in the Trek universe. And I really want this just to be just to harken back to the, 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 the TNG DS nine Voyager era, you know, give me, give me the feel good at the end of the episode, you know? Absolutely. Mm. <laughs> Contrary to the current episode, we're going to talk about right. Uh Oh, <laughs> well, let's get into it. Star Trek Picard, Stardust City Rag. Star Trek Picard Episode 5, directed by Jonathan Frakes. Who are you looking for? Bruce Maddox. I found him. We must extract him. Are you serious sending us down there looking like this? We really need to sell this. We need to show a little panache. You're killing it. So let's go ahead around the horn and get the high level view of this episode. I'm going to start with Jeremy, man. What did you think? I liked parts of it, but I'm still, I'm just still not a fan of the show. <laughs> Last, I, I mean, I'm, I mean, I can sit here and lie to you and say, oh, this is great. You know, just blow smoke everywhere, but I'm just, I, I'm, I'm, just I'm just not there yet. I'm curious, did events in this episode make you even less of a fan of the show? No. Okay. No, it, no, 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 that hasn't changed. All right. My, my, my level of, I guess, disinterest is still there. It's still That's the same. a strong word, disinterest. Like, it's one thing not to like it, but you're not even interested. I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm not like going to, you know, storm out of the room if somebody, you know, turns it on or anything. I'm going to still sit and watch it. <laughs> Make it sound like days of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's still one of my stories. <laughs> Man. <laughs> I, I, 
I had thought with the inclusion of seven or nine, Jerry Ryan, that you would you would be over the hills for this. But we'll get into it. We'll get into it. John, what did you think, man? Uh, other than this is going to sound crazy. Other than the beginning and the end, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I mean, we'll get into that later, but like, it, it was a great show. I I really did enjoy it. I, uh, the beginning just threw me off. I didn't really like how it started. I just didn't really like how it ended. Although it's a good setup, but uh, I mean, overall, man, we, well, I don't want to get too far into it, but we've seen some great acting from Sir Patrick there, and we saw some great acting from Jerry Ryan. So all in all, man, I think it was great. Yeah, I can't wait to unpack. Um, Cal Jones. All right, so I'm going to mirror what you've already said, and I'm actually quite shocked with Seven of Nine being in here that Jeremy did not like that. So I'll start off by saying that. I will say that I liked this one just as much as I liked the other one. I just thought it was a built, uh, an extension on the story that they're building. It is a slow burn. We, you know, I know we, I'm not going to rehash that we've already, you know, what we've already talked about. The ending was the ending, but I am really interested in what's coming next because I wasn't expecting the ending. So saying all that, I enjoyed it, but Curious to what you think, Clarence. What, what's your take? Man, I felt like this episode was very dense. There was a lot packed in here. I like that we didn't really go to the artifact this episode. We kind of stayed with Picard and crew. I really enjoyed that because it made the story just a, just a bit less, you know, tedious and confusing. But I think there was a lot in this. Um, we continue to, you know, get these. Uh, information drops and form these flashbacks and I'm continuing to really enjoy how they're filling in, <clears throat> filling in what's been going on in the last, you know, 20 some odd years since we've seen these characters on air. So, man, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought there's a, a lot of information in this episode and I can't wait to talk about it with you guys. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle station. I give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. So well, let's get into it. Let's talk about the cold open and the links to the past. Of course, we get this dramatic entrance from seven to nine at the end of the last episode, Absolute Candor. But what do we think about this flashback scene that we get between seven and as she puts it, her child? Each app. So much to dive into here. Um, they're on planet Vergrissen, which I guess it really doesn't matter. Seven domes 13 years ago. <laughs> Does anyone want to talk about seven to nine in this scene? Um, man, again, heck of a way to start a show, man. That, <laughs> like, way to bring you up and drop you on your head. Like, that, uh, I know we're supposed to be talking about seven, but like, so. It was a good, it was a good scene, but man, that was very, very unexpected and disappointing at the same time. Uh, seven, not much of a surprise there. Uh, it, she pretty much reacted how I would think she would react. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of liking the more aggressive side of her. Is it, and I, she always had an aggressive side, but it's kind of a more sharpened aggressive side that I like to see. And that's kind of what you've seen in this first scene. Yeah, it, 
it feels different in the sense of it feels like emotion is attached to it now. Right. Yeah. The 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 connection between her and Egypt though, I I mean we felt that in Voyager as well, so I mean that was very much expected that scene. Well, uh I guess we gotta talk about the big elephant in the room here. Um <laughs> the recast. Did that you know bother what? anybody besides me? Well, when I first, when I, I watched this episode twice, and I will say upon second viewing, the episode did get better for me. So we'll go ahead and put that out there now. But when I first, the first time I saw it, I thought it was the actor who played the older Ichib in that episode from Shattered, which at the moment I was like, oh, that's, that's really awesome, kind of a really awesome way to bring him back. It's not. I, was it not? No. No, it's well, that's what I assume. No, it's a different. I, I can't remember his name, but it's a different person altogether. Did you know that before you looked it up, or did you notice it like visually? No, I looked it up because I wanted to make sure because it looked like, like I said, it looked right. like the same actor from who played older Egypt from that one episode. But um, that would have been great. See, and here's where information is kind of the dagger because if you hadn't have looked it up. You'd have been okay with it. We'd have yeah. went with it. Yeah. So in in essence, they did a great job. I mean, if yeah, we hadn't they, have been they, doing this podcast and needing that information, we probably wouldn't have gone I, that far to it up. I don't know, man. I was instantly ticked because that actor is age appropriate. Uh, Manu Itaremi, I think is how you say his name. He's age appropriate appropriate to play that part now. And he's Egypt. And he's Egypt. And it's. it's and I kind of agree. It's almost like recasting Picard. But, but th- this, the story is a little <laughs> bit deeper. <laughs> so apparently Manu had said some very pointed things in recent months, in the last six months, um, dealing with Anthony Rapp and the Anthony Rapp, Kevin Spacey situation. He said some pretty uh, insensitive things. Uh, oh, uh, so I almost think. This is retribution for him having made those comments is to kill off his character. I, mm. I, I would hope well, it, it just, okay. I, I don't, I'm not going to repeat any of the things he said because they were pretty bad things. Just, just kind of dismissing Anthony Rapp's ordeal with Kevin Spacey is basically what he does in a nutshell. Although they do apologize and he, uh, uh, he does apologize and he and Anthony Rapp make up. But, you know, it, it, it was like a huge thing that blew up. I didn't even hear about it at the time. So it's kind of me catching up now, but he did say some pretty weird things. You know, Anthony Rapp is on, uh, Star Trek Discovery, a current production with Alex Kurtzman, who's involved in this project. So kill off his character, you know, <laughs> mm. I hope that isn't it, but <laughs> probably. Well, uh, but you know, uh, here's something that I find interesting kind of tying in to this and this, comes into something that you guys said just a minute ago as far being podcasters, it does change our point of view. So I a hundred percent agree with that. We are a little bit more nitpicky because we approach watching differently. But beyond that, because this is a show that is featuring characters that originated back 20 something years ago, that we're going to encounter as long as this show is on a situation like this where there is business reasons or whatever reasons as the character and the actor is not reunited. There's also situations that we'll probably encounter where 
the actor that was portraying it is no longer alive yeah, or certainly. the actor that was portraying it is no longer even in the business of acting anymore. Yeah, and I get all that. Just just my opinion until I really found out the backstory, it just felt wrong at first. <laughs> but 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 knowing the backstory makes much more sense. And also uh, another fo- footnote is that uh Manu is long along with a a bunch of other Star Trek actors have been in that Star Trek Renegades fan-made spin-off. So I wonder did that have anything to do with it too? Like uh him Tim Russ, Walter Koenig, uh Robert Picardo, uh, Picardo a lot of those guys were in that fan-made Star Trek spinoff thing, reprising their same characters. He played Ichib in that spinoff thing. So interesting stuff all around, I guess. Well, from his uh, quick glance down his Twitter feed, which a lot of fans have been tweeting uh, at him and, you know, kind of throwing their support behind him because he should have been playing. He should have been playing it. And they kind of have a, uh, they have a hashtag going said under no circumstances, do you bring each of back? And so it's, it's kind of a big following now, but I, I don't think, I think, I don't think it would have anything to do with them being in renegades. Yeah, maybe not. I'm just throwing that out there as something else he's been doing in the meantime, you know, but here, so what bothers me now that all of this comes now that I know all of this, what's the point of bringing him back? They could have done without him. Well, I mean, I think from a uh, story writing point of view for this show, it makes a lot of sense that you would bring him in as the emotional anchor for uh, Seven's, um, the state of mind that Seven is in throughout this episode and what she does by the end of the episode. So maybe they had to kill him no matter what. I'm just, I'm just saying there's a whole nother backstory that could may or may not played into the decision to do what they did. That's all I'm stating. I don't know a fact either way or the other. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, again, information is the dagger. Like, I, I was perfectly happy with it until we started talking about all this. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> so, but, now, I was already disappointed that we get Egypt and then you kill him off in the first two minutes. And now I find out it's not really Egypt. And it's not really Egypt because of a bunch of other stuff. Like, that really makes me hate the beginning. All right. Well, let's, let's move on to this uh, opening sequence. I just want to point out one more thing in this scene that apparently everybody hates uh the woman the doctor asked where is your critical no- node buddy it's got to be somewhere and that's a throwback to the star trek voyager episode imperfection where each of offers up his critical node to seven to save her life so i love that mm-hmm. callback that was awesome yeah i forgot about that good job and and i will say this scene the first especially upon first viewing was if you're a parent, especially was kind of emotional because imagine, and I'm sure we'll get to this more later on in the episode. Imagine having to do that to someone you consider your own child. Yeah. Mercy killing. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's not something I ever envisioned myself having to do or want to do or want to think about having to do. So that, that I think that's definitely going to, to, extremely play up on what we're going to see later on. So I'm, I'm, I know that's another problem, not a problem, but I'm curious, like, why was it, why was that the only option? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't have an answer. <laughs> like I thought not, maybe I missed something. Not being a medical doctor. I really can't. <laughs> well, I mean, well, she could have gave him some nanoprobes and we didn't see the extent to which they have been operating. You know, so I don't know, like, if they had just started or if they were. Yeah, my my impression is they were drilling through him to try to find his cortical node. You know, that's that's what I 
thought they were doing. So um, who knows? I mean, that, that was what they were doing. But my point is, you know, Seven tried to get him to leave to help him. And he didn't want to, which I initially thought maybe he was trying to get her to get out of there because it was a trap. But then come so so like she like kills him like this is the last like we're putting you out of your misery. But I mean, there had to be. I mean, we're in whatever year it is. And I mean, we we can fix things like they've cured the common cold. Like, I think there was a chance maybe she could have saved him. And I know that probably doesn't fit well into the story, into the writing. But it's also a, a kind of a gap there. Like, <laughs> there's a plot point they missed. Yeah, like, well, and maybe that's something we'll get that they'll get to later because she does have like another at least another episode or two, doesn't she? Or is this or is this it for her? Or do we know? I don't think we know yet. I don't say I don't think we know. Yeah, but I agree with you, John. I think there could have been another option that we didn't explore. So, but you know, for the purposes of writing this episode, it had to happen. Um, so I just want to add as we move on in episode three, the end is a beginning. The former Borg Hugh makes the statement that they're seen as property to be exploited or a hazard to be warehoused while the Rumpulans see them as both. But here we see an underground black market of Borg parts. Is it, is it all that surprising that a black market for Borg parts would emerge in this atmosphere? I think there's a black market for anything in any atmosphere. Ah, okay. okay. Ah, very good, good point. Good answer. All right, we'll move along. Um, next. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Next, we're taken to Stardust City on Planet Free Cloud, where we meet Maddox for the first time in the flesh. Again, another recast. Uh, since <laughs> the next generation, the measure of a man. Uh, but, you know, I think the recast matters a lot less here. We saw him in one episode and. Who knows what it looks like now or whatever. So we get an initial scene of this woman who we come to know as Bejazo, who seems to be the owner of this club and her heavy or big muscle guy, Mr. Vup, a beta Anari, a.k.a. sentient reptiloid. Any thoughts on this scene with Bejazo and our first encounter with Mr. Maddox? I thought it was I thought it was Troy at first when I first saw her. What? Really? Yeah. Yeah. She really does. Like, I, no. I, I had to go to the info screen to see if it was Marina Circus or not. Cause even like the little mold on her lip, I think it's the same thing that I seen on Troy's lip. I have to go back and look. But I guarantee you, if you go back, like just Google a, a image of Deanna Troy and then look up the Jazel and it, there is an uncanny likeness. Like until she started talking and moving and, we got some like substance to who, what the character was. Then I'm like, well, this is no way Deanna Troy. But like at first glance, I was like, Hey, Deanna Troy. Uh, I guess I can see that. I didn't really get it. I thought the actress looked familiar, but I did not think it was Troy, but I do see that she has this face that there is some familiarity with. So I, I, I give you that. I think it's the dark eyes. Maybe, maybe so. Um, What's the dark? Dark eyes, the face shape, the nose. I don't know. It, 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 I, I thought it was straight up her. Interesting. But it's, she's a cool, but Jazel is a, a, actually a cool character. I hate, well, we'll get into that later, but <laughs> 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 it, it was very interesting. But uh, is it, this not, I feel like, I felt like this was like when I seen, I was like, wait, I've seen this before. And then I got to thinking, and like this has happened in more than one sci-fi shows that I've watched. 
uh, one being Marvel's Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. There was this planet where this guy owns his bar that's similarly just like that, running black market stuff out of it. And I, I just, at this particular set or scene just kind of seems played out for me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It seems like we've been there before. Yeah. Yeah, not, not, nothing groundbreaking with this. Um, no. But but we do learn some good tidbits. We learned that Maddox's lab was destroyed. Uh, it would seem that he had a similar visit as um, uh, Dodge and Dodge had by the Toss Yard or Zatvash, whichever one it was. Um, yeah. But 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 it also seems that uh, Bejaza was funding funding Maddox's post Starfleet operation. Um, <laughs> And with his lab destroyed, he owes her a lot of money, apparently. Uh, and I just found this so funny. You, John, you mentioned this being something that we've seen before with her running this club or whatever. But I, I think also it's so typical to see one of these great creative mind people who can't get funding the right way. Then they go and secure it anywhere they can by any, any means necessary. <laughs> yeah. But I also find it crazy that, that, that they take such risky wants to get their research done, but I guess they're passionate about their research. But what makes you think you'll be able to pay that back? Well, if his research pans out, maybe, but his lab was destroyed, so I guess we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I don't know how to make that deal at all. Yeah, and um, the drink that she gives, that Bejazo gives uh, Maddox, that kind of knocks him out, is a throwback to the episode Corbinite maneuver. Tranya is a drink, I believe. So I got that from the article Ooh. that uh Eric Hetherington posted for me. So thanks for that. Nice. So let's jump back over to the Picard track. Let's talk about the chat between Picard and Seven. Again, we've said it many times before. What the hell are you doing out here, Picard? <laughs> besides being <laughs> we got the added line here besides being in way over your head. <laughs> that was really funny. Uh we learned that Free Cloud is where the Ferris Rangers keep their money. And it seems Picard sees them as vigilantes. So I guess I'll just throw it out there to you guys. Like, what do you think about Seven operating as a vigilante um, in this sector? Is that the future you envisioned for Seven and Nine back at the end of Voyager, where Janeway risked her life by going back in time to say, okay, I'm going on a rant. Um, <laughs> Is this, a, is this a vision? Dragon. <laughs> oh, Dragon Ball Z. Is this the future you guys envision for Seven of being part of these Ferris Rangers? No. Absolutely not. Well, I, I just seen her as being like maybe some higher up in Starfleet almost in the science the sciences division. Mm, see, I don't because there there's something that happens in this episode and there's a conversation that happens between two characters in this episode that makes me think that no matter what she did, she will always be Borg. And I don't think that she would have had the trust. I mean, in the perfect ideal world, and maybe that's what Star Trek used to be. So maybe I've gotten too ingrained in discovery, but I just don't see Starfleet giving her that. I'm not saying she doesn't deserve it, but I don't say, I don't think as being part Borg and especially being part of the collective for as long as she was, I just don't see them giving her that much access, not connection, but maybe access. I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think at a time she was 
completely connected to Starfleet and in the on the on their good side, I would say. Um, and Starfleet has always been acceptive yeah. of other races and life forms that have honestly committed themselves to the Starfleet's culture and guidelines and the prime directive. I mean, I, I, I very much would have assumed that. Now, the only thing I could see went wrong, like if, and maybe we'll get to this, that maybe that was the track she was heading in. And somehow Starfleet changed. Obviously we know that there's been something go awfully wrong in Starfleet. And maybe that, kind of caused them to treat her differently and kind of pushed her to the fringes. Ah, maybe a hate of all synths or robots yeah, in general. Yeah, but, yeah. but, you know, Seven talking to Picard explains that her being a part of the Rangers is her job. And she it seems, seems like she approaches it from a very altruistic view saying that it's hopeless, pointless, and exhausting, but the only thing worse is giving up you know, and to me, like, I feel like each time we meet a new character and it has the way on Picard, because I feel like it's always predicated on Picard giving up. Yeah. And ultimately Starfleet giving up on this evacuation efforts and the track, the uh, attack at the uh, Utopia Peninsula. I think every character we run into, their life state is always predicated on that. And I think it's no different here with with seven, you know, Picard's going back and retreated to his chateau and, <laughs> and seven's <laughs> out here trying to help people on the fringes. Yeah. Well, I was sitting here thinking and it just kind of really hit me that she's almost thinking like a marquee now. Yes. And that, you know, somebody's yes. got to protect these people. Starfleet isn't going to do it. They're not going to do it. I have to do it. And if you remember the last episode of Voyager, she has started a relationship with Chakotay. Yep. Who was the leader uh, of the Marquis? Yep. Mm. So I'm wondering if, like, after they returned to Earth, you know, and because I'm not sure if those two books, if the books after are canon or not, if maybe they returned to the, I guess, a more Marquis way of life. They did not in the Voyager books. Yeah, the I know. Two afterwards, I know in the Voyager books they didn't, but I don't know if those are canon or not. If those are still considered canon, but. It just seems to me that this is that that she's running as a, almost as a marquee now. Yeah, yeah. The Finnish Rangers are very similar. Um, I feel in the way they operate to the marquee. So yeah, I, I do get that correlation. But I just think so, you know, you could. I mean, they, sorry, Clarence. They, Go ahead. But they could be a tie-in. They could be where Seven what led her to this path. Like if Chakotay come gets back to the Alpha Quadrant and still realizes there's a need for marquee operations like i think he would easily slide into that and if he and seven are in love and have a relationship why would we not think she would be part of it well well at least they were in love until she found someone else which we'll get into yeah Um, (laughs) (laughs) moving on i thought it was interesting that raffi points out to rails that seven and nine is this and they came up with this long title ex-board fenris ranger from the delta quadrant Next, we get to Picard's cruise. Welcome to Free Cloud. Uh, what do you guys think about these advertisements that we got? Pop-ups. Um, Pop-ups. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Spam. I know. Spam. They're <laughs> being spammed. Yeah. Very much akin to a Minority Report slash Blade Runner. I thought it was a good bit of fun. I really yeah. liked that. It was a cute moment. 
So I, I got another point of kind of going a little bit back. It, it just seems like, you know, you, what surprised me, like the homecoming of Voyager was like a big, huge deal, like fireworks and everything. Like, why is it that Rafi and all of them know nothing about it? Who says they don't know anything about it? Rafi knows what's going on. She tells no. Rio, she tells Rios who said uh, seven is. Now Rios doesn't know, but Rafi well, she does. She tells Rios she's from so she's she says it like it's a story she heard. Like, uh, and supposedly she's from the Delta Quadrant. She's aboard from the Delta Quadrant. Yeah, they don't even say, know about her and Picard are friends. Yeah, but say just because the Voyager ship came back, think about it. it you don't know everybody that was on the ship as far as you're just living watching the transmission you know that hey the captain came back you chances are most of your ordinary people aren't going to know everybody but they wouldn't know the one borg that came back that was saved not necessarily because you think about it like when um like in, in Discovery, when they when the crew of the Enterprise decided to disclassify the entire Discovery timeline, we don't know what was classified when Voyager came back. Was was her Borg history like was all of her Borg history classified? Was all their exploits in the Delta Quadrant classified? Yeah. I mean, we know the ship came back, but we don't know what all they publicly went mm, through. I can see mm, they were keeping that secret just because she is a Borg, you know. <laughs> Well, and you, and you know, if, if there's still enemies out there, you don't tell them everything you know, because that's when they start changing it. I got you. I can accept that. I can accept that. I just kind of like, man, y'all missed out on Voyager. Like, well, at least mention it. So, so let's go into this whole track where Rafi is kind of leading the band. She has this big harebrained scheme to go into on this planet um, and actually go undercover to actually get Bruce Maddox back. So Rafi discovers Bejizzle is holding Maddox and they're looking to broker a deal with the tall she are. And seven knows that Bejizzle butchered ex Borg for parts. So after learning that Bejizzle security is top notch and impenetrable, the band cracks a harebrained scheme to uncover and offer up a prize Borg seven of nine. So first off, I want to just say thoughts on this whole idea of going undercover to recover Maddox and maybe get some comments on the look and feel of like actually what they dressed up as the whole plan. Uh, Cal looks like you have some ideas there. Oh yeah. You mean, you, you you mean, uh, him dressing up looking like a pimp from the (laughs) seventies? (laughs) <laughs> so pimp ain't sleep back. Thank you. Uh, His pimp hand's strong. Oh what? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come. <laughs> the feather? He had the feather too, man. I'm just saying that's what he looked like. Yeah. Yeah, and I well, I'll let you guys come in, but ultimately for me, I thought that all of that was fun. But it also felt weird at the same time, if that makes any sense. It felt campy almost. You know what I'm saying? It felt, it felt like they were, I agree with the fun, but even with Picard with his eye patch on, it just felt like. Sinister French guy. Yes. You know, and I'm like, 
I don't want you to be like Bichon Freeze. I want you to be Picard, uh, Jean-Luc Picard. But I love, I love, hey, I loved Bichon Freeze. Shout out to Oz9 Podcast. But, um, but, but, but no, it just, it just seemed a little bit campy, but I did like the way they at least referenced it in story than just doing the campy looks. You know, they said that you want to stand out so that you, that they know who you are, that you're not with either side. So that's kind of gave it a purpose for the look. But, 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 but nonetheless, it still looked kind of weird. I don't, I I loved it. And maybe I loved it because some of my favorite acting moments in Trek has come on a holiday when they, when they, when the characters were being other characters. So I was like all excited for this. And then it kind of takes you back to one of my other favorite DS9 episodes, uh, when the whole crew kind of goes undercover and holiday to help Vic get win his casino back. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. Like, yeah. So that, that, that's kind of brought me back to that. And that kind of took the place of like our holiday episodes that you would be missing if that was, if you were a fan of that in Trek, but I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was awesome. Mm. I, you know, I, I give Rafi props for putting together a plan that worked. I do like how they kind of cut back and forth between being actually on free cloud and unhatching the plan. So they're kind of jumping back and forth and how the, the scenes were cut. I thought those Ocean's was, 11. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> I thought that was really well done. And I believe I saw an article somewhere and I can't remember why I saw this and they were talking about Picard's patch. And they were talking about other instances in Trek where we've had people with a patch on. I think, was it Chief O'Brien had one on Undercover? Yeah. He was Falco. Yeah. It seemed like it was some other person. I can't remember. Uh, um, 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 Cisco did one with a patch. Uh, I'm trying to remember. If I'm not mistaken, either Riker... Or Data did a holodeck episode with a patch. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, the DS9 episodes when they were, uh, what was they, what were they doing? It was another Vic episode, but that's when, uh, Cisco played the villain. He was trying to submerge the world in water and start over again. Yeah. And his henchman was O'Brien without a patch. That was pretty cool too. <laughs> yeah. Now I do feel like the whole bar, the realization of the bar thing, that didn't feel very futuristic to me. It felt like a bar I could walk into tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In a lot of ways. So to me, I wasn't too impressed by that, but I will give a huge props to, to the actual planet that we saw, the big advertisements and signs down on the planet. And there's a huge list of goodies in what we saw there. I'm just asking you guys first, did you catch any of them? I did not. Quark. Yep. yep. There's yep. a there's a Quark's bar sign when they pan Was down on really? the planet. Yes. Well, they even talked about Quark or the well, friggin' bar. Because he uh, supposedly did some work for Quark. Yeah, Rio. And Quark was in the brain. But I didn't. Yeah, I missed him. I, well, I actually bar. saw an article today that they confirmed that Quark was on FreeCloud now. Interesting. Really? So, so you definitely have Quark's bar. You have the giant Orion dancing slave girl, which is interesting. Uh, you have Mr. Mott's Hair Emporium, which I just watched this episode, actually. <laughs> and that's that's a throwback into Enterprise D, D 
uh, Picard's barber was, was Mr. Mott. And, um, he actually gave Picard advice and Riker as well, or so we're told. And that's on the episode. Is that the blue man? Yeah, uh, that's yeah, the Bolian. Right? Yeah, Bolian. Yeah, yeah, that's on yeah. episode Instant Row, which is a, a pretty good episode. So yeah, I, I just saw that episode like a couple of days ago. Didn't even know this was coming up. So I love, loved seeing that as well. That was pretty <laughs> awesome. But yeah, I, I love, they sprinkle some, they sprinkle some tidbits in there for us, you know, even though they I don't. miss them. <laughs> I was say the first time I watched this episode, whenever I saw this, I was thinking of like, like I would think it was art, the Steven Spielberg movie, Artificial Intelligence, uh-huh. the AI Minority Report and all these kind of futuristic shows where, you know, there's just lights and advertisements and just everything is everywhere, which I thought was really, really fun. I'm not sure if that's a place I could live, but I would love to go like for a couple of days. Yeah, it's like Vegas. Vegas. Yeah, it's Vegas, basically. <laughs> yeah. And like another tidbit on that whole caper thing, uh, it seems like they're very much playing up Elnor to be the fish out of water character for the series, which at first I thought it was going to be Dr. Gerardi, but it seems Elnor is taking his place. Um, and yeah, he just seems so out of place with the crew. He doesn't know and, what the heck is going on. And he is quickly <laughs> becoming my favorite character by a mile. How so? Uh, I want to know how. Like, what What about him? I don't know. There was just something about him being this fierce warrior with all these <laughs> skills and has, like, this social graces of a child, almost. <laughs> you know, he's, he's very, very innocent, even innocent and deadly. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I just find that interesting because you usually don't put innocent and deadly as a character, two character traits, but the actor makes it work. So, I mean, I, I just like the character. It, it definitely gave me shades of, uh, data, the early days of data, you know, not really know what's going on, not getting the joke. Uh, yeah. or, or even seven when she first came out of, um, uh, claim from the collective it's kind of similar. She, you know, the human nuances that she doesn't really get or catch. Uh, <laughs> I got that vibe as well. So yeah, I think he's going, he has potential for huge growth in this, in the series by the end. Um, so it'd be fun to see what they actually do with him. Yeah. I love the fact that he was the only one that didn't get the pop-up ad. And, you know, of course he <laughs> made reference. Uh, why didn't I get one of these? Yeah. That was pretty funny. <laughs> That was pretty funny. <laughs> so, uh, real quick before we move on, Beta Z versus Beta Anari. Is that supposed to be some type of connection? Uh, the Beta Z, of course, can read minds, thoughts, and the Beta Anari can read smell olfactory senses. What? Hmm. <laughs> I didn't catch that, actually. Mm. I didn't put that together, but I mean, that makes sense. But I, I've never heard of a Beta Nari existing anywhere else. Have you? Yeah, they're, they're, he, they created their character for the show, for that episode. Okay. Yes, yeah, a new character. Still find it quite interesting. <laughs> so, Which is even more evidence that get, must be Troy's cousin. Because <laughs> 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 he got a Beta Nari henchman? <laughs> there you go. She's some kind of Beta. She's a Beta clone or beta like or- the beta are the lizard people now <laughs> yeah they're lizard reptilian uh, reptoids reptoids, reptoids. Yeah. excuse me reptoids <laughs> uh, so let's take a quick diversion so let's take a quick diversion before we wrap up the whole heist um let's go get maddox thing and i want to talk real quick about the whole raffi track in this episode 
So we first see Rafi looking over records from what it said Gabriel Huang, um, Stardust Medical City District. And we find out that this guy is her son and she's ready to like leap a card and everybody and go be with her family. And what I find interesting about this is again, how what it seems like everything goes back to the whole Mars attack and the fallout from that. And we see that losing her job at Starfleet pretty much destroyed uh Rafi and seems like she went on at least from the conversation, it seemed like she went on a period of trying to uncover what was really going on in Starfleet and that destroyed her family. So any thoughts mm. on that? And she mentions Conclave of Eight, which, you know, they kind of threw that out there and didn't really give us an explanation. Did they have anything to do with the eight domes at the beginning? Seven. Oh, was it seven domes? <laughs> seven domes. Okay, never mind. Mm. I'm just, I was curious about that and why, I don't know. That just seemed interesting, the seven domes, but... Rafi thing, I, I, that's not shocking. I gotta seen that coming. I, I did. I did. Like, I, like when she said she was trying to get the free cloud, I knew it was, I kind of had a feeling like she was looking for someone or family of some sort. See, I didn't see it coming. And I honestly kind of felt like it took me out of the story just for a moment. Cause it was like, okay, where did this come from? But at the end of it, when she has the, you know, conversation with her son and the son basically gives her the, you know, get out of here message and so forth. As an actor, uh, Michelle Heard for a character that she's only played in a handful of episodes. Kudos to her for the emotions that she showed because yeah. that looked one of the most real looking emotional scenes where they're showing a close-up of her face kudos to her yeah my hat no i totally agree man and and kind of what i got out of the whole situation is like it it seems like rafi had this addiction you know before she even joined up with picard and to me it's like one of those situations where you get this structure you get this purpose in life and once that all crumbles up uh, from underneath you you kind of fall back into your old ways. So, so in my opinion, that's kind of what happened to her after she lost her job and was obsessed by uncovering who was behind this Mars attack. She kind of just lost all structure and went off the deep end. You know, I just, it, it, it really connects me to that character and I feel sorry for her family and all the fallout from it. Cause it's, I don't know. I really felt that it's very, very emotionally impactful. Uh, everything we saw with Rafi in this episode. And even the end when she doesn't want to come out and talk to Picard, you know, she's like locked up in a room. <laughs> yeah. Now what shocks me is I think she would have gotten better response. Like when she got there and I understand, I know emotions take over and you can't really help yourself to be who you are, but like that was a completely different Rafi that we seen. Like if she could have managed to, uh, to confront him, with the same demeanor that we've seen her in the first couple of episodes, I think he'd have had more confidence in her intentions. Mm, so she, she kind of struck, she kind of struck me in, in the scene with her son as someone who's had a problem and still suffering from it, in which she may be, yeah. but the, the way she carried herself in that moment just kind of, 
I, I'll just say it like it is. Like if you, if you, if you meet a person that's addicted, that has an addiction that they're struggling with, it's, it, you can tell a, a difference. You know what I mean? You can tell a difference in what a person that has recovered most of the time. I know it's different, different ways for different people and how they act, but like to me in that situation, she seemed like someone who was trying to fake her way back into it. Like she said, I'm better, but she kind of seemed like she wasn't. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know if she is better. Uh, I don't think she is either, but when she's on the ship with Picard and she fakes it well enough, she fakes it well enough. Like she looks fine to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But, but but think of it like from this aspect, when she's on the ship with Picard, she's for all intent and purposes, she's at work and how, I mean, I guarantee you all four of us can say that we have gone to work Every, you know, the, not every day or most days or whenever that you have something going home, you feel like, you know, going on at home, you feel like your life's in shambles, but you put on that face because you're at work, you know, and you, you're, you're that different person at work. She's a different person and she's at work to me on the ship when she was with her son. All those barriers are, are down. Yeah, and I think it goes back to that structure. I mean, she knows how to be a good Starfleet officer. And when she's in that atmosphere, she knows how to perform accordingly. But, you know, it's like when you're off work, you get back home, you lose that structure. Or even if you've lost your job, you lost all of those things that give you purpose. You kind of fall back into the same, you know, cadence. So, Um, yeah. I was just, I, to me, it didn't. I mean, I do get it. I, I get it. And it's, she, to be somebody at work is easy to do. But I mean, if your goal is to rekindle a relationship, I mean, you're either better or you're not. And if she is, then I think she would have been better in that situation. Yeah. Cause she just struck me as not well in that situation. Yeah. No, so I- if you know you're not well, then why not approach that situation with the attitude you're giving at work? Fake it to but I also, it. <laughs> yeah. But I also don't think it doesn't matter how she came at him; he wasn't going to let her back in. I True point. I kind of. I do agree with that. I just, I just kind of wanted to see. I, I would have loved to see her in the Raffi we've been seeing approach that situation like that. But probably the Raffi that we've been seeing is not the Raffi she knows that he wants to see. Right. Because if that's the Raffi we're seeing, you know, that if, if she's going at everything that she wants, the same speed of her life he hates that version of her yeah. yeah why would why would she show the version of her that he hates to try to win him back yeah, and, and plus it's somebody you haven't seen in a long time you don't know how to act <laughs> you just right. have to see him so let's jump from rothing let's get back into this showdown between bejazo picard and seven they've tried to offer up um seven to to bejazo and mr yup to in order to get Maddox, um, and then the whole thing kind of falls apart. So we discovered that Seven had a romantic relationship with Bejazel, and that Bejazel played Seven, and Seven is angry not only about the relationship but how it led to uh, Bejazel locating Echeb and and Echeb's death, eventual death. So I found it weird how seven was able to be played but in love you never know because you don't know when somebody's lying to you playing for the fool and just the whole relationship in general was really surprising to me uh 
and that does not come from the fact that it's two women. Uh, it's just that I thought seven was so connected to Chakotay by the end of Voyager. I thought that's who she'd be with. So let's, let's discuss this entire relationship ordeal and about seven being, being played for the fool. Any thoughts on that? Hmm. Okay. So let's, let, let's, let me make a comment on Chakotay. While yes, that worked for the series, her connection or her, her playing field, as it were, was not that big on Voyager. You know, there was only so many specimens to choose from. So <laughs> when she gets back to a planet full of people, she has more choices, perhaps. She went, wow. <laughs> more specimens. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying. You know, with, with different she tried all of the flavors. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to put myself into her thinking, and as a board, she would have looked as people, maybe as specimens, perhaps. <laughs> Very true. I mean, that is true. You expose her to a multitude of options, she would explore them all, I'm sure. Gross experimentation. Because, again, this is someone – think about all the things we went through watching Voyager for this character and thoughts and whatever that we take for granted. She is still new she, to all of those things yeah. for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Yeah, in Voyager, she probably was the equivalent of a teenager in growth <laughs> or less. Yeah. You know, like a 13-year-old girl. That might have been a schoolyard crush. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. I get it. I get it. Yeah, but I, go ahead. You know, I believe, and I have to look it up, if I remember correctly, in the books after Voyager, I think Chipotle. 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 <laughs> Chipotle actually dies shortly after they come back. From now, in, in the original timeline of the uh, Voyager finale, he did die. Right. I thought seven died. But she, well, well, she died on the way home because it took them like an additional 13 years or something oh. like that to get home. And then she visits Chicote's gravesite. But yeah. then in the new timeline they create, they both live at least to the, through the last two, through the two books that followed. Yeah. Well, I think he dies in the first book. No, I don't think he dies at all. Hmm. Interesting. Now, I know he didn't because that book, that first book was a cliffhanger and it pissed me off. <laughs> but yeah, he was, they were both still alive throughout the, those two books. Yeah. And, and, and we get to the, the end of this showdown here. Nothing spectacular. I mean, the good guys win. There, there's your win you looking for, uh, John. <laughs> they, they overtake, uh, Bajazel. They get back to the ship. Everybody's okay, but seven is still intent on revenge and, I was really weirded out here because, you know, you made the comment of how seven X Picard, <laughs> are you ever really human again? Or do you ever really reclaim your humanity completely? To which I think Picard says no, but you try. And seven and he allows seven to go back down there. Did do we think Picard knew what seven would be up to? She gets two pistols or two rifles to go back down there. He didn't know she was going back down there. He 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 yeah, he, did. he put her on it. Well, she was on a well, transport. No, he, he knew that she was transporting. I don't think he knew the location. Because he asked her, you know, well, I'm glad you made the choice. Blah blah blah. Least I can do is uh, drop you somewhere. 
and she said, "No, the um, Phoenix Rangers are on name, their way. They, right. They're sending they the ship be here now." Yeah. Hmm. So then that's when she get, and then she says, "Can I have two phaser rifles? You know, a ranger always, I can never have enough phasers." Yeah. Hmm. So then she gets on the pad and beams off to what he assumes is this ship that the ranger sent to him. Now, what was questionable was she locked, loaded, and pointed before she beamed out. Interesting. Oh, oh, okay. I think I get it. So she did grab that site to site transporter from off right. the transporter pad before right. she went back down. So that might be how she did it. Yeah, but didn't the captain leave that to, to, for her? Well, Rio's left well, it up there. It. But I don't think he left it for her. He just put it up there. See, I thought he left it for her. That was how mm-hmm. I interpreted it. Yeah, Maybe I just, he did. I just saw him put it, like, clip it on the console, and then she came by and just kind of slipped it in her pocket. Maybe he did leave it for her. Yeah, maybe he did. Wow. Mm-hmm. So can we, can we, for one quick second, because my favorite, favorite, favorite part of this episode was Picard's show he put on with Vaughn. Yeah. Like, that acting was amazing. Like, I don't know that's... We say that a lot about Picard, but I loved it. Like I expected, I expected, uh, gosh, I can't remember his name ever. The captain. Rios. Rios. There you go. I expected him to put on a better show out of the group. Like I figured he would be the best at like hiding who he was and becoming someone else because that's kind of seems like what he's done. Yeah. And I figured Picard would be the one that would screw this up. Like what will see right through Picard. But man, did he put on a show? I love that. He did, but I don't know if I liked it, man. No, I don't know if I like sinister French guy. I don't. <laughs> I thought it was very hammy, <laughs> like just just over the two over the top. Like in that scene, I forgot he was Picard. See, it, I'm the other one. in that scene, I was like, "How can you not tell this is Picard?" Uh, I got to go with Jeremy on that one. Oh man, that that was some great acting to me. I I loved it. I loved it. It was great overacting. It, it took it took it took Maddox all of two seconds. Picard? Yeah. <laughs> he said. Well, that was after that was after they said something. I mean, he it. lifted up his eye patch. It's, yeah. it's like Superman with the glasses. Like, well, no, because uh, seven or somebody said something about Picard. I don't know if it was Rio or somebody after after all that it went down and you know they're like, all right, show's over. Somebody said something about Picard or Starfleet, and then I mean, and I, I'm just saying the whole. Evil French henchman for one has been overplayed and two is was d- overdone. Uh, I loved it. <laughs> that was my favorite part. And it's so different from what we've seen him do on uh, the Next Generation. We've seen Dixon Hill. We've seen him play Robin Hood, but this one just—I don't know. It just didn't get me. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. <laughs> it was great to be man. It was great. All right, well, guys, let's try to let's try to uh, wrap this thing up. So, once back on the ship, we learn a few things from Maddox before he kicks the kicks the bucket or gets kicked in the bucket. I want to say it. Uh, Dodge and Soji both <laughs> went to Earth and the artifact to find the truth about the ban on Sith. So they were trying to uncover the truth. Lies and lies and lies. Um, you know, they think the Starfleet is hiding, hiding something and the Romulans and the Federation are both behind it. So that is the reason we see them on Earth and the artifact, which I thought was interesting. So let's end things off by talking about Dr. Gerardi and Maddox. Oh, Gerardi. 
So first I thought Gerardi would be like the comedy relief of this show. But in this episode, we first get that uh, video of her watching uh, her and actual Dr. Maddox in an intimate moment, baking cookies. We see them kiss. So we instantly know something more is going on with these two. This is probably her lover. But do we really know that? And then we get to the end where we see Dr. Gerardi doing what she do. What the heck, man? Is she a part of the cover up? Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> she looked like she didn't want to do it, but she was like she had to. Okay, they, they she could have done it. I don't mean to interrupt you, but if she if she were going to do it, she could have come up with a less painful way to do it. That looked like some fatal attraction going on. I don't think she knew what she was doing so much as, you know, he's here, he's going to ruin everything. Let me end this now. I mean, let me, I mean, she just didn't look like she was trained to do anything like that. But, but she says she wished she didn't know what she knows. So what right. the fact does she know that would have her kill her lover? So here's where I took it. <clears throat> She's actually working with or for Commodore O and whoever they are, Talshiar or Sotvok or whatever they are. And I mean, she's in love with him, which was made it so hard for her to do. But she was hoping that he had nothing to do with the creation of these androids or their whereabouts or the fact that he maybe thought Maybe he was, she found out that he was on to whatever plan they have going on to tell Shira has, and now she has to kill him because of it. Ooh, I think you're on to something. Because, you know, we assumed that she came and joined up with Picard because when she was talked to by the, um, people you're just talking about, the, um, we assumed that she was on the run from them. She may have, in local likelihood, been working for him and been yeah. sent by them. Yeah, right. that makes sense. Because um, Dr. Maddox says uh, we're responsible for these new androids. Uh, soon, I, and now you, because you were instrumental in the research. And then she says one more thing I have to atone for. Hmm. So I think she, I think you guys are right. I think she's working for oh, sunglasses and all. <laughs> Walgreens sunglasses. Those are deep. Those are dollar Trump. <laughs> and you know, I don't know if this is the knowledge of knowing the ending and going back and watching it again with that knowledge, or if it's just something that I picked up on the second watch. But watching the scene where she's looking at the video of them making cookies, there's a little more sinister look that she has at the end that I did not notice the first time, right before she wipes away the tear. It just, there's a, there's that moment to where it's like she just turns it off. But the first time watching it, it was just like, oh, I didn't really pay attention to it. But the second time it was like, mm, you really are up to something, aren't you? Mm, it's, it's possible that she could be the one behind the Mars attack. Yeah. Ooh, that she has connections good. to do it. And she comes Very across true. as harmless. But we see she isn't. Look at the pop-up and how she hit that. We all laughed at that, thinking, ooh, that was so cool. I don't yeah, think she's a, Yeah, I, I mean, it's saying I strangled who would fear? Whatever. Who would fear more of a synthetic takeover than 
the far most leading expert in synthetics. It's just the same thing as the people that fear an AI takeover are probably the most knowledgeable people of AI. Like, I, you, I mean, that, that could be it. Like, she could be the one that called, put this whole thing in motion. Interesting stuff, man. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, unless someone has some final thoughts, anybody? So did, uh, did Rafi like just kind of sneak back on the ship or did they like bring her back or? She barely stuck back on because they referred to her as a stowaway. Hmm. Poor Rafi, man. She can't catch a break. (laughs) I feel sorry for her. Still my favorite character though. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other thing I would add is free cloud to me is like space Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Let's go, man. Let's go. Stardust City Rag is Rag like a trick or a heist gamble? What does Rag mean in that statement? Trick? Um, I think Rag can I, be I trick. don't know. Rag can be a lot. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I didn't. I, I mean, I thought about it, but I didn't give it much thought. But that'd be interesting to know. Right now, go ahead, Jeremy. I was going to say, anybody else noticed that um, they referred to the um, mother when when Maddox and uh, Doctor were talking? They were talking about the the mother AI kicking in. Yeah, that. So, I mean, we kind of assumed that. Though. I just I like that actual confirmation yeah. though, that you know this happened. Therefore, the mother AI you know activated to guys. I guess as a fail safe. Interesting hmm. stuff, man. Interesting. So was the mother AI of Sanji, was that the first time she had activated it? I guess so. And it caused her to go to sleep. Caused Dodge to go to Picard and caused other one to go to sleep. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I do think, even though I have no idea where the story going next, it looks like we're, well, other than we're going to the artifact next. Uh, but man, it's, 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 I'm still enjoying it, man. I'm, lo- I'm loving not knowing what's coming next and experiencing the mystery as it comes. So, Hey, I can't complain about that, but overall, I really enjoyed the episode. Um, and I guess we're ready to wrap things up and move along. So guys, if you made it this far into the podcast, uh, I feel like we were a little <laughs> all over the place this, this episode. <laughs> But um, if you have feedback, please continue to send that in at Discussing Trek on all the social medias or fans at DiscussingTrek.com. And uh, let's go around the horn and see what everybody has been working on real quick, podcast related or otherwise, what you've been watching, listening to or whatever, et cetera. Uh, Jeremy, what about you, man? Um, aside from work, I've, I've started reading. I've gotten myself into more like um, British royal history, I guess you could say. And I found a really interesting book. I can't remember who wrote it at the moment because I don't have it in front of me. But about Wallace Simpson, who was the wife of Edward the Seventh, the one who abdicated the crown back in the thirties, in the in the thirties. Really interesting life story behind her. A little bit crazy, but really interesting. And when I get to it, I'll like if anybody wants to know, I'll get you the name the the title of the book. It was written by one of her really good friends. Huh. Hmm. Awesome. Interesting. Awesome sauce. Well, Kyle, I think you might have some news about some more British stuff. Uh, oh, speaking <laughs> of great British uh, literature, and because there are books out there, by the way, <laughs> from BBC Books. And I would say that if you are watching the 2020 series of Doctor Who, also known as Series 12, 
You can check out our reviews uh, at discussingwho.com, and we are going tomorrow night to be recording part one of the two-part finale review. So can't wait to talk to you, Clarence Brown, and Lee Shackelford about that tomorrow night. Awesome. So awesome. John, what about you, man? Oh, man, uh, a whole lot of work. I've been up to um, studying for my real estate exam, so ah. unfortunately, I hadn't had a lot of time to indulge in any extracurricular activities, although I do put on Voyager every night before I go to bed because it's kind of my relax, and which we can't do with Picard because it has you on the edge to see, but I mean, so I've been getting kind of into, and I'm starting to appreciate the, well, I always appreciate it, but I, you know, EMH on Voyager. I kind of been watching it a little more closely now, trying to see if there are any kind of similarities between the EM, well, the EHS yeah. on, <laughs> on our new <laughs> ship here. So it's just kind of fun to go back and watch the EMHD. And so you kind of see a, the basis of what we currently have. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. It seems like the EHS have come so far. But they're still trying to replicate some of those same sentimentalities and not sentimentality, same abilities in um, the Android. So that's really weird because I don't think I think this is the first time we ever crossed over the two really together. Yeah. And it's kind of it seems like if we can do that much of advanced work with the holograms that we should be able to do that with the androids as well pretty easily. But who knows? You know. All right. Well, as for me, I will always say just check out the Relativity Podcast at RelativityPodcast.com. New episode just dropped, as well as checking out the Discussing Who podcast, where, like Kyle said, we are wrapping up uh, in the next two episodes the latest series. A lot of fun, a lot of interesting things going on in the Doctor Who world as well. And thank you, the listener, for listening to our humble little show here. And until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. If you enjoyed this podcast, you may also like Relativity is an audio drama serial about two people, a woman on Earth and a man in space, struggling to remain connected, to help one another through life and death situations. Their only link across the vast emptiness of the cosmos is the sound of each other's voices. Find out more at RelativityPodcast.com. Discussing at work.